After just a brief introduction, we'll do that. So, Andrew, do I get any orientation, or do you just go and it's good? You oh, just yeah, we just we just, uh, we just we just go. chat. Yeah, just but um, just uh, you know, try to like these directional mics. Yeah, like they're best if you're like you know practically eating them while you. Uh, oh, really? So don't be scared of them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Get, get, get up close. My concern actually is that I talk with my hands a lot, so I'll try and avoid hitting it. Oh no! It would just be like. Uh, just put it, it where you want it, and okay. I'll work with it. Yeah. So All right. Can, yeah. Um, so somewhere between eating it and snorting it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a proper podcast technique. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it just seems like less to plug in. So, are we all rolling? Awesome. So, we have uh, another interview with uh, a luthier today. Uh, his name is Pat McGowan. Did I get that right? You got it. Okay, and um, you know, we just kind of learned about Pat. He had emailed me a few pictures, and I, you know, said beautiful. Can't wait to try him. So he showed up at the shop today, and um, we're gonna show you guys his ukes, and we're excited about him. And um, maybe we can, you know, start off with with Corey giving us a sample, just so you guys can hear how these ukes sound. Thank you. 
So give us some of your, your thoughts, Corey, from uh, playing these. So the first... Or this one, at least. Yeah, so the first time I, I took it out of the case and I played it, like, just the overall volume is just, it's like one of the, probably the loudest ukulele I've heard. And most, like, even, because I've played loud ones, but we're just, some, you know, the other strings are drowned out by, you know, like the, the low end. CD right, or like balance, end. string to string, but also as you go up the instrument, yeah, I notice. Like you don't lose volume. It's even throughout the whole neck. Right. And, um, the clarity and warmth. I hear. Yeah. You said this was a Honduran mahogany. Right? That's Honduras mahogany. And, right. And yeah. really tightly figured for Honduran mahogany. It's crazy. It was uh, one log that had this figure going on that I, when I saw what uh, he had, it's like, well, can I have some more? Yeah. We don't have like all multiple angles set up on the instruments right now, but hopefully we'll be, you know, taking pictures and all, yeah, doing maybe other videos as well. But um, I like that you use the Goto UPTs. I always like those. Um, Those are awesome tuners, yeah. And so nice and light. For a lightweight instrument like this, you get a lot better overall balance. Really really light. Yeah. That's one thing I noticed the first time I picked it up. I noticed um, really clean lines. you know, you're, you don't have um, uh, any blowout in the routing lines for your binding. And, um, you know, it seems like you've been doing this a while. I, I haven't really gotten to know you yet. We're going to do that right now. So tell me, uh, you know, what exactly where you're from and, and how you got into this. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it short because um, I've done woodworking for almost 50 years, starting with uh, model making. Um, and so it's always been kind of pick and poke work, small pieces, fine detail, really close joinery and stuff like that. Of course, at the start, I was just making things that I hoped would fly, uh, again, model aircraft out of balsa wood in tiny dimensions. And then that grew, uh, as I started playing guitar, I started working on my instruments, uh, but then in, uh, I think, late high school, I had a Gibson Melody Maker, and the neck was kind of clunky, and the finish had chips on it. And I, I was not very sophisticated about instruments that had any age. Uh, and I said, I'll fix this. And I stripped it with furniture stripper. The Gibson logo went away. <laughs> Everything went away. And when I was done, I realized I had erased this <laughs> instrument. And I was so traumatized by that that... Um, that I just stepped back from <laughs> what, touching like, instruments and right just Right after said, you did it, you're like, oh no, what did I do? Seriously. Well, no, uh, it, literally as the Gibson logo washed away, it's like, oh uh, yeah, you didn't this know is, that was coming. This is not finish, good. Yeah. This is not good. I obviously don't know what I'm doing. So, but I was still so interested in wood and then I got married, we needed furniture. I started building furniture and then I found out about mm-hmm. James Krenov mm-hmm. who, um, just his sensibility of this beautiful and intricate work that was so sensitive to wood graphics and how wood moves and all these things. So I pushed that. And over time, I became a studio furniture maker, which is kind of the you know professional version of doing that. But my teachers were saying, build instruments. Almost nobody cares if furniture is built this way and you play instruments. Um, but I avoided it for as long as I could until... In effect, a small group of people did a, an intervention 
<laughs> I uh, I got to know. We're here to you know, talk to, help to you, you about the yeah. Yeah, direction no. of your life. And um. <laughs> I, I got to know uh, Lynn Dune Bostel, who okay, like yeah. built Chris Thiele's kind mm-hmm. of breakout mandolin and a lot of other beautiful instruments, and Jeff Elliott, who's a great classical guitar maker who built for Bream and others in Portland. Uh, and they said, just do it. Just go for it. Don't get lost on the Internet at all the things that are published. You don't need that, uh, all that stuff. We can as help. far as like learning? Material. Well, there's so, there's so much on the Internet. And if, you know, with my sensibilities, like I want to know everything before I do anything. Mm. And, you know, of course, you'll go nowhere if you do that. Um, yeah, you, you might pick up something here and there, but how you really learn is by doing. You learn by doing it and also sorting the solid information from the less solid information on the internet is hard. And these are two great builders. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm still learning from them and could do so for decades. So I just pulled my focus in actually, um, to them and they helped with wood suppliers and choosing good plans. Although not for the ukulele in particular, since neither of them build ukuleles. Same principles. That was, yeah, really, in my mind, they're in the family of classical guitars in terms of how they are often constructed. Of course, kasha and other things go in different directions, but I build fundamentally a Torres-Hauser approach. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So once they pushed me into it, well, they pushed. I also injured myself in the shop, and I couldn't do any of my large furniture commissions. Mm. So that really forced my hand. That's when I made the first instrument. Right. I could not do anything else professionally. Um, and, of course, the first uke was not a professional endeavor. It's just I need something for an exhibition. Right. And so I built that one. But um, James Hill saw that instrument at the Langley um, ukulele kind of teacher's thing up uh, in Canada, and then Kimo Hussey played that instrument at the 2014 GAL um, Lothiers Convention. And each of them gave me feedback that was very specific to the ukulele and specific to styles of playing that I enjoyed. And so I sort of build with those sounds in my head. Interesting. Yeah. Any... Um ukulele makers that inspired you as well or that you were kind of going for that sound or was were most of your influences more from uh you know the guitar makers that you were that you had there yeah well i mean definitely there are other uh, makers that were on my radar and that were that were really helpful um uh i'm thinking at the 2014 convention uh woodley white uh moderated a lot of stuff and then his instrument was in the kind of the the ukulele tasting session we had one night where chemo played like 50 instruments the same song back to back uh so we could hear them in a beautiful performance auditorium and get a sense of comparison and whatnot and i really liked uh, Woodley's a lot. Uh, that was one. Mike Da Silva and uh, Bob Gleason mm-hmm. and uh, Jay Lichty mm-hmm. uh, were also on multiple panels about how the instrument was done. Um, most of my construction approach, though, actually came from Jeff Elliott mm-hmm. uh, and Lynn uh, in terms of the sensibility about wood um, right. because uh, Lynn is building kind of in a different genre. Uh, with bluegrass guitars and mandolins. I didn't look too hard, but it looks like your um, 
finishing it separately and then uh, attaching your neck. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. he's very clean. So this one um, that we just heard is a satin finish. What type of finishes are you using? So that one is pretty low tech. That's varnish, old school varnish applied with a brush and rubbed out. And that's just what you get in terms of the level of gloss when you work with that material. As soon as you apply any abrasive, no matter how fine, to a long oil varnish like that, um, you get a satin. But it's got a great track record for tone in the uh, classical guitar world, especially. Well, no, not just there. Um, the uh, Linz guitars, even if he lacquers the body, are typically a varnish top with a little shellac if they want more shine. Mm -hmm. But shellac is not so durable, and you want that varnish underneath. It's very tough. Um, if we get to the Macassar instrument, that has a nitro finish. Right. Uh, some people, it shows off the wood spectacularly yeah, to have yeah. a, we will, uh, Corey, one finish. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, you know, my thoughts on it are, it, it has a beautiful natural look. It's, uh, you know, obviously, not shiny but it it doesn't have any sort of a cloudiness to it that sometimes sprayed satin finishes do or you know i mean the, there's no lack of clarity you definitely um see the beauty of the wood yeah that's that's still. what i'm after um and that kind of extends back into the krenov connection for furniture making as well as to try and let the wood speak uh, and obscuring finishes are sort of a, a particular I don't know, thing yeah. of mine to avoid. It's like, I work with wood because it's so beautiful. Right. <laughs> I want to see it. Exactly. Uh, with as little in the way as possible. Right. And, well, you know, this gloss does have reflective uh, qualities that at certain angles might not show it. It's, um, it shows off the beauty of the wood, truly. And, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how it affects tone, but there's so many things involved. And if you do a nitro correct like that, you know where it's going to protect but be very thin as uh you know people can take a listen i don't think it you know hurt the sound yeah i think that touches on a really big area of discussion about instruments and that's the idea of deciding what's good by thinking about it <laughs> or by reasoning or arguments. It's like, well, nitro is a more encapsulating and plastic finish, and logic says. And what I try and remind myself to rely on is my ears, um, well is said. to build an instrument and finish it a certain way and make various building decisions, and then not say, well, this is Macassar Ebony and Redwood, so it's going to sound like this. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, why don't we just play it or have somebody like Corey play it better yet <laughs> yeah. and listen to it and see what does this sound like because the species or the technique doesn't determine the sound. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we're always trying to describe think, you know, sound to customers, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's 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 kind of silly sometimes almost but i mean it gets even more ridiculous when you're going to classify a whole wood as a sound when it's just one small piece of the puzzle it's that set of wood uh, there was a great article recently in american lothery where they did a fairly technical study of different species with careful measurements and sure enough sort of the mean 
response of different species was different, but the standard deviations almost completely overlapped, which means it depends on the set right. that you pick, not on the yeah. species. The cellular structure, how it was cut. How, it was, I, like, how you that know, tree grew. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Because boards this far apart in the same tree mm-hmm. can sound wildly different. I've mm. experienced it personally. Yeah, it depends on how hard that year was on it. All kinds of stuff like that. You know? A lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether, <laughs> no, just, whether a bird pooped on it or right. something <laughs> that day. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, let's take a, a listen. So um, we'll first uh, go over the woods on this one. Okay. So this is a sinker redwood top. So that means this is redwood that was felled a long time ago, probably 100 to 150 years, uh, in the pond that they created to store the logs until they could float them down in the winter. Um, they piled up and the logs on top mashed some of the lower logs down into the silt and they got stuck and they stayed underwater for 100, 150 Mm -hmm. years. Uh, Eventually, some of them washed up, and people cut into this wood, and it's like, this stuff is nice. It's super old growth, for one thing. Um, But also, it's different. um, It sounds different. It handles different. It hand planes a lot differently. It eats hand plane blades, Mm. (laughs) because I graduate. I do a lot of the graduation on my top with a hand plane. but it's it's a very seductive uh, wood to work with. Um, I hear, um, you, you know, you can't actually pull it out now because of something about it affecting the wildlife. That yeah, that's yeah. correct. Of course, it tears up the stream bottoms yeah. if if you're gonna dredge it up. Right. You right. know, if it washed out because we had a big winter, that's mm. one thing. If you're gonna say, hey, let's get some chains and heavy equipment and take this out, uh, all of those coastal rivers uh, where the redwood grows have breeding salmon populations right and uh, all of those are under strain so um yeah to my knowledge you can't pull those out anymore so it's, it's i mean you know you can get so much out of one log with redwood but at the same time you know it, it kind of makes it a little bit even more special that it's uh, yeah yeah uh, although it probably serves us to remember that none of these is an infinite resource yeah uh, i mean we're, we grow a lot of spruce and mm-hmm. the spruce on the other instrument was uh, from switzerland and it's actually fsc certified mm-hmm. uh, so that's a sustainable harvest on a super long rotation like a two mm-hmm. to three hundred year rotation which europe does right uh, a little better than we do in the states so far yeah um, our, our grandchildren will, will be like remember when the instruments were wood yeah. I've seen I've seen videos. No, I'm just joking. They had this stuff. They had Sitka spruce, <laughs> no. Port Orford cedar. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, sorry. The the back and sides of this one are two different trees of Macassar ebony. Mm. Um, Corey, uh, do. Right. Yeah, uh, the light colored one is a billet that I got about uh, 25 years ago, and I thought I was going to build hand planes with it. I used to use wooden hand planes, and I didn't, so I saved it. And the other one came from a post. Um, in a Japanese house. My understanding is that these ebony posts were given this like position of honor uh, in residences, but then some people found essentially it to be in the way uh, and removed them. And a friend of mine who is a fine furniture maker and lives in Japan part of the year got some of these old ebony posts and brought them over, and I got the, uh, the darker wood from him. That's a, that's a really cool idea you know and um it worked it works great like sometimes 
you know, even like using a different color koa on like, you know, mm-hmm. on a koa body can do something like that. But you, you, you mix it up and, uh, you know, back with what you were saying about each piece of wood being different. There you have two species that are like even visually right. distinctly different. Well, in this case, the same species. That um, are yeah, so, that's right. That's what uh, I meant. Thanks that for are correcting so different. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And just trying to play with uh, kind of subtle differences. The the binding wood on that one is um, uh, palfero, and it's just a little bit lighter brown. Uh, it kind of picks up some of the tones in the lighter macassar there and just makes me happy that little gradation from the dark side wood uh-huh. um, those those small things like that really right speak to me yeah complementary but uh yeah still giving some variation yeah and, mm-hmm. um look at this fat abalone rosette that's like definitely sets uh sets it off too it may be um particularly in a dark top like this is like you cannot miss that yeah. abalone rosette <laughs> i also do uh, wood rosettes that i really like and they tend to be a little more laid back <laughs> uh, when the light hits the abalone under a lacquer finish like that it's like okay we are out on the town and we are dressed up you know we've got the high heels and we've got some major jewelry on here <laughs> yeah. i mean it's not Still a radical design though, right? yeah, in right. any way but it's a it's a pretty strong statement all the same it's beautiful power is so pretty yeah it's like wow what colors. do i do i see a, a bit of a radius to the fretboard that one has a radius i build them both ways um Look, I'm, from I'm dr- here it almost looks like a 12 inch it's a 12 you yeah. got it perfectly yeah you've you've seen ukuleles before apparently. yeah i've seen a few <laughs> yeah okay um but no i i build to the user's preference i i'm i tend i want to be doctrinaire about it sometimes um and that can even go either way it's like well you know there's an argument for the string height above the top blah 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 that argues for a flat fingerboard for a more even response of the string pulling on the bridge i.e the classical guitar world um and then there's but my finger has this shape and it naturally is in a bend and so for the greatest playing comfort and you need that playing comfort to bring your best music to the mm-hmm. game. And at this point, but we really I tr- need try to not to be doctrinaire. at this point. You know? Yeah, and I think it's, it's like, like... Come on, people, let's all just get together and accept that a good ukulele is a good ukulele. You pick it up, it's not really like making any... Well, you know, not making any difference, but I, I don't ever pick up one and it makes the difference. Like, oh, you know, but, you know, everybody's different. And sometimes even people with arthritic type of issues or you know, whatnot, uh, it makes a bigger difference. And totally, like that, yeah. totally. And so I talked before about evaluate the sound with your ears. Uh, and uh, it, the feel is like, that would be a good thing to judge with your hands uh, and your playing experience. Mm-hmm. And it'll tell you if you want a radius fingerboard or if you like a flat mm-hmm. fingerboard. And that's great, you know? Yeah, for sure. Possible to make them yeah. either way. Yeah. <laughs> but well, not both. Cool. <laughs> compound right so we're gonna get a um sample on this let me grab my kombucha because i am thirsty i became a
no pressure. All right, you convince me. I'll be signing up for lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you can hear like yeah. the it's like each note is like I know it like sounds really good. Like so, tell tell me, Corey. Um, you know, and of of course, like we were talking about, this is subjective, and you know, words. Every everybody can listen for themselves, and you know, make their own judgment. Make sure you use good quality headphones or speakers to actually. You know hear somewhat real tone from this but give us um your take on the differences in those two ukuleles that you you were just playing so this one's a little warmer um i think it's due to the, the redwood top too um but it does have the same volume um the clarity you know it's a little little warmer but like when you do finger 
speaking and doesn't get on. Like Mark yeah. speaking, there, there's good note separation. I but like I, the, the the overall tonal quality of like each note when you play it is like is really good, and the dynamic and like volume when you go soft to loud is like you know like. And these are um, what strings do you have? Do you have on both these? Both of these have Worth CTs. Okay. And the uh, low string. Let's remember that one was a high G and one's a low, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Warner. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. But that's you know part of the voice we're getting. Uh, the low G on that is probably a, a Diodario Silverwound. Right. Yeah. D string. Love it, man. Yeah. Good sustain. Yeah. Just. You know, if Gibson had done their logo like you did yours, you could have stripped it, I and it wouldn't have come up. <laughs> and I wouldn't have been so traumatized, yeah. and maybe I would have been build, building for like 42 years <laughs> continuously, <laughs> not furniture. I bet there's some cool furniture out there anyway. You know, that's how my dad started. He I had no like, idea. Yeah, no, all of the stuff in our house when I was growing up was made by him, and he did furniture building and repair along with guitars for like, you know, most of my or a lot of my childhood um, before just going to Luther. But. Interesting. Another person who sort of tempted me over the years is a great furniture maker in New Hampshire named Terry Moore, mm-hmm. who builds mostly furniture, but always has a guitar or two on the side going along. And I thought, oh, uh, to be like Terry, that would be so nice. <laughs> but, but I was I, still I, chicken. <laughs> I, I, I love, I don't know. I actually took a job with a company that does really creative furniture here for a little while because uh-huh. they were doing like freeform tables and just like really cool stuff. And mm. I was like, oh, that would be cool. And then I sanded rocking chairs like every day or they put me on the <laughs> mill, like breaking my back. And I was just like... <laughs> Dad, can I have my job back? <laughs> yeah, not, not so much. Maybe this isn't what I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But um, so I guess you were telling me right before we started that you're going to give me um exclusive uh, rights to sell. <laughs> off yeah, I know nothing about marketing, so I figured the best thing is to trust you completely because you, yeah, you had said uh, like. About $150 or something like that. Oh, yeah, right. We were talking prices. That was a list. I assume that in wholesale is like uh, 30% of that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, something like that. And um, I mean, we could maybe go up to $199, you know, customers. It's it's been opening up. They've been buying more expensive instruments. Yeah, it's a really eye opening experience here. We're being sarcastic, guys, just in case anybody is. (laughs) In case this survives. Obvious. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I wanted to say maybe one other thing about this instrument that's different. Oh, I was being sarcastic about us getting exclusive, too. We didn't actually say that. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. So uh, this instrument has two significant differences. Both. So these instruments have names. It will make it easier for me if I call them by name. The first one was Raynard. Raynard is a, a fox in a children's book. And that mahogany is just the color of a red fox. Mm. And so it's easier for me to think about Raynard in the shop than to say, well, you know, the super curly hunter and mahogany with the Swiss spruce top uh, and the Madagascar rosewood overlay. Right. It's like, you know, Raynard is blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, and kind of cooler than uh, number 157 or, you know, something like... Which I would never be able to remember either. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So I need something to kind of hang my hat uh, on. Uh, the one that Corey has now is Little Mac because I'd been working on a larger body design for chemo. Um, and coming from building a couple of those this seems so cute and small and it was macassar ebony it 
I just said, well, it's Little Mac, and I felt sort of bad about that name, but it, it stuck. Nah, it's cool. Um, but wait, these two are different shapes? No, they're on different shapes, but they have uh, a couple of significant differences. They're both um, five fan, uh, you know, Tory-style fan mm -hmm. braces, but Little Mac has uh, open transverse bars mm. uh, on it, so... That the idea behind that is to release a little bit more expanse of the top to Even vibrate. they like touch down only at like yeah, they're like they're like yeah. bridges over certain areas. Mm -hmm. Although actually, there's a very thin strip of wood that's continuous, and that has to do with not creating stress points mm -hmm. uh, at the where the bridge oh, touches down. You yeah. want to I want a continued glue line, mm -hmm. but I want part of it to be very thin and flexible so that top can move. Mm -hmm. So that's a difference between them that is also contributing. And, of course, they're graduated separately. You're graduating the top, that is, thinning the top and mm -hmm. choosing the, the usually thinner at the edges according right. to the way the wood feels uh -huh. and sounds as you touch it and tap it and things. I think that really helps with both projection and um, a balance. I mean, because it seems like the top would be moving all together a, a little bit more. I, I could be wrong with that, you know, but it's just kind and of... When it comes to the reality and what theory would adequately ex, uh, describe it, I don't know. But it has <laughs> that <either>. kind of <laughs> bracing, and I know kind of the general ideas behind why you would use it, and I knew the voice I wanted to move towards with this. I was thinking uh, I wanted to get more kind of chocolate into the sound, uh, and so that was one of the decisions I make. This also has a side port on it. Chocolate into the Little Mac. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and right um, the side port on this one we didn't talk about. Yeah, yeah. Do you have end graphs on these? Um, I think I think so. Corey, show the um, butt of the instrument. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sure. Cool. It's mm -hmm. in like a V. Yep. Yeah, I figured I'd had the big V going on the three piece back, and I ah. normally do a V. The V's actually vary a significant amount from instrument to instrument according to sort of what's going on with that one and uh, and what strikes me the day that I cut the engraft. Right, 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 <laughs> it's like, right. oh, I think I'll make one that looks like this. Um, also, when I uh, choose the piece of wood for the engraft, it may have this graphic in the wood, this little bit of, you uh -huh. know, a black line or a swirl or something, and it's like, oh, that is so cool. If I made the engraft a little wider up here, I could work that in. Mm. So, you know, as long as it's narrower than the end block, <laughs> and uh, does its functional thing and doesn't weaken the instrument, Cur I'm taking yeah. a, 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 a sort of a aesthetic liberty uh, with the end block as well. Oh, we weren't that charged on our... Okay. Yeah, well, these are, are really nice, and we appreciate you coming down and uh, talking with us. Oh, um, that is my pleasure, really. Of course, you guys can, you know, contact Pat and and order custom uh you know customs through him but um we're gonna run a special if you get it through us um we're gonna give you a coupon for a free soft serve at mcdonald's um no a free shave ice all right seriously let's go let's bring this all right you local. know what you're right so act now or you know soon you're gonna be showing these at the ugh coming up and then um Hopefully, we'll be showing him to people more. So, yeah. thanks for taking the time, letting us get to know you, and um, have a great time in Hawaii. Thank you very much. Right. It's a thrill to be here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks. So, uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, I, I think the w world right now really needs some good 
fun videos to watch that have no politics in them whatsoever. <laughs> so that was our little part of, you know, doing, uh, you know, making the world a better place. Absolutely. Thanks for yeah. tuning in. See you next time. Have a good one. Aloha.